You know that song that we sang? Um, I just really love you. Isn't it lovely to be able to come to the Lord with nothing in between you and him? And just to be able to say, I just really love you with, with all of my heart. And I, I love singing that song so much. <clears throat> it's like a place of intimacy. And I just think, like, imagine if you had like a husband and um, you were singing like, I just really love you. And you were singing it to each other, but you was actually having an affair. So it completely, ro- truly, it truly robs the intimacy from that moment because you're living actually a complete lie. Or um, imagine if you was singing it to, to someone that you, like you really love, but you've just stolen money out of their bank account. So we, we can have relationships with people, and they work when we, we're being true to that person. And... I want all of us women to be able to sing to Jesus, I just really love you, I just really love you, and for none of us to be having an affair, none of us to be living in adultery, none of us to be living in sin, none of us to be doing anything that would separate us from our amazing father. Um, like a good human example I've got when I was thinking about this, um, a lot of years ago, I... Um, so my, there was an ornament in my family. It was like a little China Buddha, and it was like a family heirloom. And um, oh, like none, my family aren't Christians, so don't worry. <laughs> it wasn't like they had a Buddha and they're all Christians. But this family heirloom was um, like, oh, you know, when there's so much attached to an item. And uh, my mum had always said oh, t- to my granddad, oh, when are you going to give me the Buddha? And he was like, no, you're not getting that until I'm gone. My mother gave me that Buddha. So, you know, the Buddha was a big deal in the family. And then I got saved and was really radical. <laughs> and then my nan, my granddad um, was in a home. My nan was dying of cancer. And I was in her house. And I was really upset and distressed. And I saw the Buddha and I was like, right, that's going. So I took the Buddha out of the house and threw it in a bin on the street. You know, in a moment of a radical love for Jesus. And then um, sort of forgot about it. It was in Hornchurch. And then a week later, I was chatting with my mum on the phone. And she, we, you know, talking, talking for all different things. And she was like, oh, your nan's been on the phone. She can't find the Buddha. <laughs> my nan's dying of cancer. And I was like, you know, like my heart stopped, my stomach flipped. I was like, oh, shoot, the Buddha. I was like, oh, really, mum? My mum was like, she is so worried about it. It is driving her mad. She cannot find it anywhere. So I've just told her not to worry about it. I've told her, mum, the Buddha's probably, you've probably put it away somewhere. Just forget about it. But it's like she can't rest until she finds this Buddha. And I was like, oh. (laughs) And then like, oh, I was like, see you later, mum. Put the phone down. I knew I had to go and confess to my mum. I knew I had to. How, how could I be intimate with my family and have a close relationship with my mum, my nan, unless I went and told the truth? Unless I, dis- unless I was able to be that kind of person where you just completely harden your heart and shut down and live a fake life and just have this massive lie in between me and my mum... And I, I was a Christian. I knew God wouldn't allow me to do that. God wasn't going to let me 
live in, in a lie like that. So, yeah, I plucked up all my courage and went round and told my mum and got in a lot of trouble for being a fanatic and for stealing from my dying grandmother. And anyway, I did get the Buddha back by a miracle, but that's another story. But the, the reason that I wanted to use that example because I don't want any of us to have that kind of between us and God where there's something that we've done that's wrong or something that we're doing that's wrong and, it, and it's like a big massive blockage in between our relationship with God. I want us all to be able to sit down in our car or in our bedrooms or wherever we are and just say, I just really love you. I just love you with all my heart and just be intimate with him and have that closeness with nothing in between. So who was like that in the Bible? Lots of people. Obviously, Adam and Eve are a great, fantastic, super example. So in Genesis um, chapter 2, so Adam and Eve were created by God, and they lived in paradise with God. They lived in the Garden of Eden, and God walked with them. In the cool of the evening, God would visit them and walk with them in the Garden of Eden, and it was good. And God gave them some instructions. In chapter 2, 16 and 17, he said, um, The Lord commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and blessing and calamity, you shall not eat that. For if you eat from that tree in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So they were living in this beautiful communion with God in the Garden of Eden, and they had some instructions. Eat whatever you like, but don't eat from that tree. And this is what happened in chapter 3. The serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, who is Satan, said to the woman... Can it really be that God has said you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, we, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good and pleasant for food, it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise. She took of the fruit and she ate it. Oh. So in, you know what happened to Eve in that moment before where she was just like, I just really love you. What's she going to do now when God walks with her in the evening? One thing he told her not to do. Don't eat from that tree. She's looked at the tree and she's like, <sighs> when the woman, uh, then the eye, oh, hold on. When the woman saw that the tree was good and suitable and pleasant for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave it to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together just all of a sudden they just felt shame. They didn't know shame before then, but all of a sudden they felt shame and they had to do something to, to deal with their shame. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron-like girdles. And in the evening 
They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So Adam and Eve lost their intimacy with God and went from a place of walking with the Lord in the garden to hiding from the Lord. I don't want that to happen to any of us. So I could have hid from my mum when I had to make that big confession, but I, I went and told the truth and it was worth it in the end. Everything got restored, but when we've got stuff going on in our lives, we, we can hide from God. And I believe for a born-again person who loves Jesus, the most miserable place to be is hiding from God because you know the truth, you know. So if you're having to hide from him, that's, that equals no peace. You just lose your peace completely because you can't unknow how much Jesus loves you and how much he, he died for us on the cross. So... Um, Adam lost his intimacy. The other person who was, um, had incredible intimacy with God was King David. So he, he's known in the Old Testament as being a great worshipper of God. And um, you can read his story in 2 Samuel. Well, he, you can read his story all over the place, actually. But in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a story of David. His greatest desire at this point when he became the king was to bring the presence of God into Jerusalem, into the city. And the presence of God in those days was represented by the Ark of the Covenant, which is what Moses had made in the wilderness. And David wanted the presence of God close to him. He wanted it near him. And so he arranged to bring the Ark back into Jerusalem. And as they were bringing it back in Jerusalem, you just try and picture the scene, they were sacrificing animals and David was worshipping abandoned worship before the Lord. He took off his kingly robes and he just was worshipping and dancing before the Lord. But he's so excited to have the presence of God back close to him in Jerusalem. He he was so undignified that his wife looked at him from the from the palace window and looked at him with disgust and disdain because she was so embarrassed because of the way that he was behaving. And when she challenged him about it, he was like I don't care. I'll be even more undignified than this. This is about worshipping God. So that was, David, that was how David rolled. He loved God and he worshipped God. So maybe some of you can relate to that. Just feeling like that's that, un- like <laughs> just that unabandoned love for Jesus. Well, that was in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. Chapter 11... David's soldiers and army are out at war and that's probably where David should have been but for whatever reason it doesn't say why he didn't go and he was out on the rooftop of his palace one afternoon and he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman bathing, Bathsheba her name was and he said to his servants, go and bring that woman to me and they were like, and I know he said to his servants, who is that woman and they said, "Uh, that is the wife of Uriah the wife of Uriah. So that's sort of like a bit of a clue to David, isn't it? The wife of Uriah. And he said, go and bring her to me. So they brought Bathsheba to David and he slept with her. 
and, she, and he sent her away. So I don't know what happened to David between the man who was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, no, he wouldn't have been saying Jesus, but the man who was worshipping God with all of his heart. Oh, I loved God, loved God, loved God. Something happened between that moment and the moment now where he's skulking around on the palace roof and sees a woman that he's going to have sex with her. Uh, I just think that just shows us the condition of our human hearts, doesn't it? I mean, I'm the same. One minute I'm like, I just really love you. The next minute I'm dishonouring my mum or getting unforgiveness in my heart. David is an example to us of the human condition, but... He didn't stop there with David after he slept with Bathsheba. She sent word. So Bathsheba's husband, by the way, Uriah, was one of the men, a very important man in David's army. So he was out doing what he was meant to be doing, fighting. And then Bathsheba sends a message, uh, yeah, I'm pregnant. Obviously, she's not pregnant by Uriah because he's out in the field. So David's like, okay, not a problem. I'm the king, I can sort this out. So he sends for Uriah from the battlefield. Uriah comes back. David gets him drunk and said, Uriah, why don't you go home, spend the night with your wife, go back to the battlefield tomorrow, you know, eat, drink, have a nice evening. Uriah is a man of honour. He says, well, how can I do that, my lord, when the king's soldiers are out on the field fighting the battle, I will not go home and lay with my wife. So he's a man of honour. So he spends the night by the palace um, gate and then... David's like, <clears throat> so the next day he does the same thing. Uriah, why don't you go home and spend the night with you? Anyway, Uriah, Uriah won't do it. So he goes back to the battlefield and David's like, Whoa. it's getting serious now. So he comes up with, he just gets deeper and deeper in it. So you, if you've ever been there where you like, it just starts off with a little thing and then you just get deeper and deeper in it. So he sends, he thinks like, right, okay, what am I going to do? It's shocking, really, what he does, but he sends a message to Joab, who's commanding the army, and he says, basically, to cut a long story short, I want you to put Uriah in a position where he's going to get killed by the enemy. And so Joab's like, okay, you're the king, I'll do whatever you said. So they, pl- they position Uriah where the fighting is at its fiercest, and lo and behold, Uriah dies. So David's like, Whew, got out of that one. Who knows everything that's going on? So Joab doesn't know what's going on. Uriah didn't know what was going on. Bathsheba didn't know what was going on. Who knows everything? Who sees it all? Who knew exactly what David... Who who must have been looking down at David and just been like... And as David's getting himself deeper and deeper into it. So David thinks he gets himself out of that one. He gives Bathsheba time to mourn for her husband. Then he calls for her and sleeps with her. Oh, Bathsheba's pregnant. How wonderful this poor widow has been given a child in her widowhood. But um, obviously God knows the truth. And uh, I think it's about a year later, uh, God sends a prophet to David to confront him. Because I, God is so good. God is so amazing. Because I'm, I imagine, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I just know this from my own life. You'll recognize it because we're human beings. I imagine that David couldn't be intimate with God anymore. Because how could he go before God in the temple and worship and say, like, oh, I really love you, when he's just slept with a woman who wasn't his wife, got the husband murdered, and now he's deceiving everyone and bringing up this child as if it, as it, well, it was his, his own child, but as if there was nothing, you know, there's nothing to see it. <laughs> I haven't done anything wrong. So I, I imagine in that time that the, the intimacy with the Lord just wouldn't have been there 
It wasn't the same David that was able to bring the Ark of the Covenant in, just loving God, I love you, God, I love you, God, and saying to his wife, I'll become even more undignified than this. I just love God. I don't think it was the same David in this moment. So God is so good. He sends a prophet, a man of God, Nathan, to to challenge David because I think God wants to restore David's relationship with him. Again, I I don't know. God might have wanted to... You know, point out to David what a, what a disgusting sinner he was. He might have wanted to punish David, but I think ultimately the heart of God is to restore us to relationship with Him. I believe that that is God's heart for every single one of us. I believe it is God's heart that when we know Him and we've given our lives to Him, He will go to any lengths to restore His relationship with us because He wants us to be able to say to Him, "I just really love you," and He wants to say, "I just really love you too," with nothing in between us. So the prophet comes to visit David and he says, oh, David, li- li- like, listen to this story. You're not going to believe it. There's a really poor man and uh, he's, he's just got one little sheep and he's raised this sheep like, like he's one of his own children. He feeds it from a bottle and sits on his bosom. He really loves this sheep. And then would you believe it? There's a rich man who's got loads of sheep and someone comes and visits the rich man and because the rich man, with all of his sheep, wants to give the visitor some sheep for supper, do you know what he did? He went and got the poor man's sheep, took that poor man's sheep from him, killed it and fed it to the visitor. David's like, that's absolutely disgusting. Who would do something like that? How could you take something from someone else who's got nothing when you've got everything? <laughs> How much are we like this, though, ourselves? Jesus said it, didn't he? He said, before you accuse anyone else, take the log out of your own eye before you start pointing out the speck in your brother's eye. Anyway, David's like, right, I'm not having this going on in my kingdom. I demand that that man pays back four times what he's taken. Let that poor man be restored from what's been taken from him. Ha, oh, that's terrible. Can't believe something like that's gone on in my kingdom. And then Nathan says, well, the man in the story is you, David. And something happened to David in that moment. He, re- he repented before God. Thank God for that moment. Let's read it, actually, because this is a moment that we all want to get to, isn't it, when we're not in, in close communion with God. So it's, it's 2 Samuel. Uh, it'll be the end of chapter 12 somewhere. I just want to read exactly what it says. Um, so that's um, okay. So, so two, cha- uh, two Samuel chapter twelve verse seven. Um, David's anger was greatly kindled against this man, and he said to Nathan, "As the Lord lives, the man who has done this is a son of death. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this, and he had no pity." So there's David all in his righteous anger. Disgusting. Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the God of Israel says. I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't have been enough, I would have given you more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord doing this evil in his sight? You have slain Uriah with the sword and you have taken his wife. You have murdered him. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. 
because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbour and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly but I will do this before all Israel. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So I wonder, I wonder if at that point, like if David broke down, like if he fell on the floor and cried. I wonder what happened in his heart, but really this is a good moment. This is a good moment, even though he's just been told from Nathan the prophet all the judgment that's going to come on him. So he's going to... Um, there's going to be problems in his family. That, like, that a lot of judgment came on David because of what he's done. But don't you think that's a really fantastic moment when David says, I've sinned against the Lord? It kind of is almost like when... Well, it's nothing like it really, but in a sense, it's like when I went to my mum and I was like, Mum, I've chucked the Buddha away. Even though I, was gonna, even though I got into so much trouble with my mum and my dad and my whole family, like, at least I was right with God in that moment. And so for David there, in that moment where he says, I've sinned against the Lord, hallelujah, for repentance. Because when we, when we repent and say sorry, what does God do? He restores us to relationship with him, doesn't he? So I'm so happy for David. I'm so, I'm so happy for David that he, in that moment, said, I've sinned before the Lord, because that is the return now. This is the moment now where David is turning back and he's going to become a worshipper again. He's going to become the man that he was created to be again. So all this time he's been walking in denial and arrogance and pride and sin. But the moment he says, I've sinned against the Lord, is the moment that he turns. And I believe in that moment, David could rightly go before God and worship him again and say, I just really love you. And God say, I really love you because he's repented and that's what we can all do. That's the incredible thing that happens when we recognise what Jesus has done for us, when we recognise that Jesus Christ has died on the cross, when we recognise that actually the wages of sin, our sin, is death. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. So that's, that's what I was saying before, Jackie, about when you become a Christian, it's coming to that point when you realise, yeah, I have sinned and the wages of sin is death, but I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord now to be saved. That's like, that's like the first thing that you do. You call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And then when you're saved, when you're in right relationship with God, then you start to realise the amazing plan he's got for your life. And when you're a Christian, you become the woman that God created you to be. And it's amazing. And that's probably why Christians have been on your case for years, saying, come to church, come to women's group. Because when you know him, when you've got that relationship with him, you want everyone to know him. There's not a woman in Debton that we don't really want to be here this morning in a relationship with Jesus, walking with Jesus. So praise God, David got right with God and, uh, yeah, he repented. And he wrote something so beautiful. He wrote, um, David wrote loads of psalms 
But this is one that he wrote after he'd been visited by the prophet Nathan. So this is Psalm 51. So we're just going to read it together. Actually, can I just grab a copy? Yeah, so... All of us, um, all of us will be on a different place in our journey right now with God, and all of us will be in a different, different place in our heart with God. Some of us um, might know that, as far as we're aware, as far as we can possibly be aware, that there's nothing between us and God. We're not doing anything He hasn't asked us to do, and um, it's all good. And we can sing, "I just really love you." Some of us might have been being convicted of something. God might have been challenging us about something and we might need to repent and turn so that we can be restored to God. And then, Alexis, have you given your life to Jesus? Do you, do you feel like you've kind of invited him to come in and acknowledged? Yeah, awesome. That's really good because, um, yeah, like that's the first step, isn't it, when we first pray that prayer and say thank you to Jesus for dying on the cross for us and invite him into our lives. So I just wanted to make sure that you've done that because, yeah, that prayer is so powerful, that first prayer of surrender to Jesus. And then kind of it starts from there. But like David, we can go up and down in our journey. You know, one minute we can be like, oh, I just love Jesus, I just love Jesus. And then the next minute we could be, you know doing whatever, filling the gap, X, Y, and Z, whatever it is for you. But um, let's read Psalm 51, and then let's, let's leave women's group today in a place of intimacy again with Jesus. So um, this is um, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So you, you'll see from this psalm what's happened in David's heart. It's so powerful. And if, if there's any lines that you particularly love or particularly speak to you or you want to say them yourself to God, then, you know, underline them, make it your own prayer. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I'll give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O oh Lord, that my mouth may praise you. 
You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. I just find it totally mind-blowing that that was written thousands of years ago. But we can relate to it so so easily today. It's because it's the same God that David is writing to, the same God who we know. And we, yeah, so we can read that and we can totally know where David's coming from. So practically speaking, I would say to you, that if you are in sin and you know it, if you're doing stuff and God's convicting you, confess your sin to someone. That is so important. Just like I plucked up all my courage and went round my mum's and said, Mum, I've chucked the Buddha in a bin. Um, pluck up your courage. That is healthy Christian community. That is how it should be. That is how Christian community works. It's not like the world. Christian community is where... We confess our sins one to another. So when if someone comes and confesses their sin to you, that, that isn't a moment for you to say, oh, there, there, no, 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 don't be silly. No, you haven't done anything wrong because that's like our natural tendency. We want to encourage people. When someone's confessing their sin to you, like, let, let, them, let them feel the full weight of what they've done so that there can be true repentance. And also as well, if someone confesses their sin to you, remember what a privilege that is and don't tell anyone else about it. If you know about Catholic Church or if you've grown up in Catholic Church, you know that that's the role of the priest. You go into confession and confess your sins to the priest. But obviously we're not um, Catholics and we don't believe that because we believe we're all priests. We're we're the priesthood of believers. So I can come to you, Chris, and I could tell you the most heinous thing that I've done and you can minister God's forgiveness to me because you're a priest. So that's how... That's how it works in the body of Christ. So don't ever carry something that you're doing and, and, and stay distant from the Lord. Confess your sins. Confess our sin one to another so that we may be healed. And then obviously when you've confessed your sin, receive forgiveness, repent and be restored to God. Yeah, so Lord, I just thank you so much for intimacy with you and thank you, Lord God, that we see through Scripture you want to be intimate with human beings. Thank you for for what we can learn from um, our ancestors, Adam and Eve and David. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord God, that you would give us the courage. If any of us are in sin, walking in sin, and it's unconfessed and hiding away, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to confess to one another. And then, yeah, I pray that no one would leave women's group today with unconfessed sin. And Lord, I just want to thank you so much for how amazing you are because you want to restore us all to intimacy with you. And so that I pray that as well for every woman, that, that every single one of us would be so intimate with you so that if we, can lis- if we listen to that song later on YouTube, we can just put our heart next to your heart and there'd be no separation, no gap, just pure intimacy, love. Yeah, I pray that for all of us. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Pray it in your name, Lord. Amen.
Amen. Bless you, ladies. Yeah, so if you, if you do want prayer, obviously, um, talk to someone. I'm very happy to pray with anyone who wants prayer. Um, I, I don't know if anyone's got like a one-minute testimony of walking in sin and being separated from God and then having to like make a decision to come back to God and how, like, how that little journey was. <laughs> oh, I was looking at the face. <laughs> oh, so literally. <laughs> Mine was being in that desolate place where my mind was, um, I was in uh, um, so controlled by my thoughts that um, it dominated my life for 15 years. But when God separated me and I came up here and I was all on my own, that's when I got on my knees. And I already thought I was a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian. And when I got on my knees and said, Lord, I can't do it without you. I need you. And I invited him back into my life. That was the beginning of my journey. And now, like, you know, that's been probably 13 years on now. This is where I am now because of that day, because I surrendered all to him and then allowed the Holy Spirit to come and minister to me and, and drawing closer to him, getting... Like more intimate with him, relying on him rather than what other people say or on other people's... Yeah, it's good to run to church and hear what the, the pastor's saying, but you also need that intimate journey with him yourself. You need to know him yourself. So for me, that was a turning point of my life, and that saved my life because I was in such a bad way, really a bad way. And God you know, started teaching me how to renew my mind and that I am not my faults. And that was the start of my journey. And I praise God for that. <laughs>